Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you for tuning in once again. As always, I appreciate your support and your belief in me. I'd like to get a shout out to our sponsors, Maury Nutrition, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, and Thread Wallets. Guys, thank you for believing in me as well. And uh, you allow me to do some amazing things because of your support. So thank you so much. Uh, today, guys, you're in for a, a real treat. Um, I've gotten introduced to this uh, next guest uh, a few months ago, and I've been doing a bunch of research on him ever since. And you guys, uh, his message is going to really hit you loud and clear today. And just grateful. We're, we're joined by the author of A Bump in the Road, Michael Caprio. Michael, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk about everything. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I, again, I've been researching you and seeing all the good that you're doing. You just come out with this book, A Bump in the Road, which we're going to talk a lot about. Um, there was a reason, obviously, why you wrote this book, and we're going to get into all that. But let me give a little background to our listeners. Um, at uh, 18 years old, um, you were diagnosed with familial adenomatous poly polyposis. Yeah, it's I hope I said that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah. It's a rare genetic form of uh, colorectal cancer that accounts for only 0.5% of all colorectal cancer cases in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very rare, obviously. Uh, you endured two life-saving operations and has since made a full recovery. So congratulations. Thank we're, you. we're glad that that happened. I, you know, we, we mentioned you're an author of that amazing book, you're an advocate, leader, change maker, podcast guest, and a guest on our show. And you're an advocate for mental health and obviously for uh, colorectal cancer. And your mission um, is to help other people um, who are going through difficult things. And so we can't uh, be more honored to have you on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate that introduction. That was uh, pretty, pretty perfect, <laughs> if I say so myself. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Well, why don't we start, uh, Mike, with uh, just tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and maybe a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I grew up, and I'm still in uh, northern New Jersey, so I grew up in a Apatron, which is in Sussex County, towards the very top of uh, New Jersey. And okay. my childhood was pretty pretty ordinary. You know, um, I have a brother, older brother, and my mom and dad, who I'm, I'm very thankful for. And I have, um, you know, a good family upbringing that I'm, I wrote about in my book that I'm very very thankful for they were you know there for me in my darkest hours and probably yeah. you know the biggest the reason in my darkest hours why I was able to uh, overcome a lot of what I did was because of them and the support I had around me so you know growing up which I kind of write about in the book prior to my surgeries I was a pretty shy kid I never really um, explored in my extroverted side although I always say I probably had it but I was just afraid to take chances I wasn't really into many extracurriculars, and I never really, I guess, um, went outside my comfort zone. I was pretty content within my comfort zone, but obviously, um, you know, after I graduated high school, I was forced out of my comfort zone, and that's when things changed. But um, yeah. yeah, that's just a little bit about me. I'm a typical uh, North Jersey Italian kid, 
love the Giants, even though they they've been breaking my heart lately. But you know, that's <laughs> yeah. I, I see the Giants uh, helmet on the back wall yeah, there. Yeah, you know, you're a Giants fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you've had your ups and downs. You guys have had some good teams and some bad teams yep. at times, right? I guess you got to go just with the flow, right? Yeah, I've seen two Super Bowls in my lifetime. So a lot of my friends who, you know, are fans of other teams, they bust my chops and they're just like, well, you're lucky you've seen <laughs> two, you know? And I was like, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Still doesn't take uh, away from how rough things have been, but that's a fair <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so let's just get right to it. You know, at 18, you got diagnosed with uh, – what we talked about there and um, tell us about that. And how did you get to that point where you noticed something was wrong and just kind of start us from there? Yeah. So pretty much how it all started my senior year of high school. Um, I winded up going to New York city at Mount Sinai, which is where I winded up getting operated on and I got a blood test. So it was pretty, um, you know, a pretty ordinary day. My 18, yeah. 17, 18 year old self at the time really didn't understand what was happening obviously going to the city driving you know it's like 45 minutes away from where i live it's a bit of a commute and that's not the norm so i knew something was a little out of the norm to be going to the city to get a blood test but i was being broken in on everything slowly so they told mm. me my parents told me after i got the blood test results you know it would come back in two weeks and i was kind of half listening to what they were telling me so at the time right. i really didn't even know what i was getting tested for if we're being totally honest and then, yeah. you know, this was during my senior year, two weeks went by, but I forgot about, you know, the blood test and my parents didn't say anything to me. So I just kind of assumed nothing was of it, you know, nothing happened with it. But then what I realized later on, and I wrote about this is my, my results did come back in two weeks and they found out I had the gene and, you know, my parents were kind of sparing me to enjoy my senior year while I could before I had this news broken to me. So oh, really? okay. it was, yeah, it was being doled out slowly to me, which would, which I'm honestly, I wrote about it and I'm, I'm grateful for that because all of that at once, you know, it was still a lot, even as it slowly got rolled out to me to have it kind of hammered all home at once would have been a lot, especially during a time in my life that is pretty important. You know, I think they would say that, you know, your senior year is an important right. year in your life for a lot of reasons. Um, so yeah, then it, I didn't really get those results until later on in the year, um, it was probably after February, I'd say, is when they couldn't wait any longer. And my mom uh, broke the news to me, told me that I was diagnosed with it um, and basically what the rundown was going to be. So obviously they told me my mom has it. Uh, my grandma had it. My grandma's sister had it. Her mom had it dating all the way back four generations ago. And oh, then, wow. um, yeah, and my aunt has it. So I was aware at the time that, you know, three women in my family had it, my mom, my aunt, my grandma, and they were all fine at the time. So I, you know, in my head, I was like, okay, well, I'm diagnosed with what they have, but they're fine. So it, again, still wasn't really registering to me. And they explained to me um, what the condition is. So I'll explain it to your audience since we're at this Please. point right now. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, basically what it means is I have a gene in my body. We all have a gene in our body. Everyone in my family who has it where instead of um, stopping the growth of polyps, like a person who had the normal functioning gene, uh, they mm. instead multiply specifically in my large intestine. So it's not okay. so much, well, so polyps are, um, you know, when you're in your thirties, well, they recommend thirties now. So it's like thirties, forties to uh, get a colonoscopy. And that's to be a preventative measure to remove polyps if you have them, because polyps right. are precancerous growths. So eventually they will turn the cancer. But with my condition, because there's so many of them, 
It's not like a matter of if I'll get colon cancer, but when I'll get colon cancer. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. So with my condition, after we got the blood test and that was confirmed, I had to get a colonoscopy as well my senior year of high school. And since I was 18 at the time, they had to show me the results and I had to go through, you know, that full process. And I remember uh, when they showed me my colonoscopy results, you know, this, my doctor was just pointing uh, with like a you know marker or whatever. And he was circling all the bumps and there was like thousands of them. It looked like my large intestine was uh, covered in bubble wrap is the way I wrote it in the book. So, yeah, it was uh, pretty dire. I know they told me after I graduated, get operated on right away. I got operated on July 10th. So that was like two weeks after I graduated about like two, two and a half weeks. And yeah. yeah, right from there, you know, it's it was all symptomless prior to that, because a lot of it is catching it early. That is the you know blessing, luckily for me. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, I know you you even said in your book about how, you know, your mom, your grandma, your aunt, who, you know, if it wasn't for them and their perspective and their support, um, you felt like maybe you couldn't have gotten through this. Maybe not just necessarily the procedures, but more of maybe the mental side mm -hmm. of things, right? Oh, yeah. So, so talk about that. I mean, you're 18 years old. You hear this. I mean, that's pretty scary. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's scary at any age, but at 18, you got your whole life ahead of you. You're graduating, but now you hear this. What what was going through your mind and what kind of, I don't know, how did that affect your mental health? Yeah, no. So this was a, a big part of it. Like, like you were saying, um, you know, the mental for me, it kind of all came crashing down on me once I really understood what was happening. Uh, the colonoscopy really run it home for me because at that point, I was a little more familiar with my condition. I was researching it online and I wrote about how that was bad because when you're online, you're just kind of reading all the horror stories about what could right. happen and you're only reading the bad. So, you know, I'm just reading all these things that I felt like my parents were hiding from me at the time. I remember I was mad about it, you know, because I said, you know, I started withdrawing a little bit from them and they could tell something was wrong. And then my mom kind of sniffed it out, which I wrote about in the book, too. She was like have you been researching things online? And I was like, well, yeah. And why haven't you told me about X, Y, and Z and all this? And then yeah. you know, she was like, you can't live online. Take this up with Dr. Gorfine when you see him, who was our surgeon. And um, he did a great job at quelling a lot of the anxieties I had. So, you know, I was able and fortunate enough to have him debunk a lot of that stuff. But that yeah. was definitely one aspect was seeing everything online and reading all these different things and trying to figure out who to believe. Obviously, uh, you know, I have real examples with my family, but you don't really know what could happen to you. It's obviously very different. And then once you're fully aware of what the procedure is going to be, how long you're going to be under the knife, what recovery looks like, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game. Even if the odds are yeah. like stacked in your favor to survive per se, like, yeah. I wouldn't say that my surgery was like a high death rate or anything like that. But I think, and what I wrote about in the book is like, well, what if it's the end of my life as I know it? Like, what if yeah, from, right. yeah, like what if from this moment on, like July 11th, when I wake up is every day after July 11th going to be miserable? Like is my life that I yeah. had prior ever going to come back? So that was more the main fear I was battling with. Wasn't necessarily the fact that I could die. I mean, that's obviously part of it. And once you, hear that that's a possibility your mind starts going a million miles an hour especially at 18 years old when everybody you're yeah. you know going to school with is planning their life out and their future and you just got this news where you're finding out once everybody is enjoying their last summer together maybe for the rest of their lives 
I'm going to be in a hospital bed in New York City, yeah. getting ready for the fight of my life, you know? So it was, it was yeah. a whole lot. It was a whole existential crisis that at age Yeah. That's heavy. That's heavy. You know, there is a quote that I found um, that you said, you said here, tell me if you remember this, mm -hmm. I'm sure you will. It said, I entered the, the world of being a medical anomaly as a young adult, experiencing things that only a tiny minority of people worldwide get the privilege of. Mm -hmm. Now that threw me off a little bit when you said the privilege of and I, and I, and I love what you're saying there. Explain that. And how did you look at this as a privilege? Yeah. So it's kind of double folded there. <laughs> Obviously a little bit of it is me being sarcastic because I know that it's a rare thing, but in, okay. yeah. So a little bit of it is me being sarcastic and just trying to make a little light of the situation, but in reality, and it, it kind of is a privilege in some ways, because I do write about this a lot in my book is I get a lot of people who have read my story and, you know, they've been following what I've been doing and they say, especially people I went to high school with and they're like, I never knew all these things. You know, I feel really bad for you and blah, blah, blah. And that's like a lot of things. A common thing is like, you know, people will pity that. And that's understandable. Like I get it's coming from a place of care. Uh, but right. for me, truthfully, and I wrote about this a lot and I already talked about it a little bit. When I was in high school, I wasn't self-actualized yet. I was still, mm. you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I felt like I had no aim or purpose. I felt lost in a lot of ways. And in a weird way, my surgery and going through all those hard times gave me clear perspective on life. It gave me wisdom and it gave me the tools to deal with other things that have happened over the years. Because, you know, as life goes on, it's not like the uh, hardships stop per se. They just change and they shift. So since then, I feel like I've been able to navigate a lot of situations in my life because of my surgery, you know, that I probably wouldn't have been able to handle as best if none of this happened to me. You know, it feel like it gave me the right. mental toughness that I really needed in my life for just life in general. Right. Wow. Well, I want to talk more about that. You know, I, I work with a lot of clients, uh, Mike, that are struggling with an, uh, a number of things in the mental health area. Mm -hmm you know, anxiety, depression, you know, um, work with people who are struggling with addictions and things like that. And I often will tell them that life happens for them. And, you know, when it, that's why it, it, that stood out to me, that quote about, you know, I get the privilege of, because I really do believe, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, that, that when we go through adversity, it's, it's almost like a wake up call to our greatness, mm -hmm. you know, because here you've written this amazing book, you're out, you're out in the public eye. Now you're, you're, you're an advocate. You're talking about all this stuff and you're inspiring people and it's really cool. <laughs> and you never would be doing any of this had you not gone through it. So what do you think about that statement? Life happens for you. Oh yeah. Me and my mom kind of have our own little version of this where like she says, okay. God gives you what you can handle. You know, that's kind of what mm. my family uh, throws yeah. out there a lot. And it's the truth. You know, it's weird. We can't really quite, there's a lot of things we don't know. And I, I've kind of embraced that part of life. You know, the, uh, the unknowns, uh, there's a lot, I, I take fact or comfort in the fact that, you know, we we're not meant to know a lot, you know, there's some greater plan that's playing out. I've talked about fate and just how everything played out in my life. So weirdly perfect that if one thing was tweaked, you know, I might not be here and my family might not be here and this conversation would never be happening and so many things would be right. different, you know, it's like a butterfly yeah. effect. So 
And I know totally. a lot of times people, when something bad happens, they can get in this mode where it's like, why did, and I did, you know, I got in that mode of why did this happen to me? But then it's weird when you go through it and you kind of trudge on, you find out why and it, yeah. it'll shock you. You know, it's, I learned <laughs> for me, for me, it was a whole bunch of different reasons and we could get into that a little later because I don't want to cut you off. But yeah, I 100% agree with that. No, thank you. Very well said. I, I I just love that philosophy and that, or excuse me, not philosophy, mindset. And I really love your mindset. I mean, you, again, you're out there now in the public eye, you put your story, you know, in, in, in written form now, and you're out promoting your book. Let's talk about the book for a second, like specifically, like why, why did you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I, I need to write a book and I want to go out and you know, share this with the world. So what got you to that point? Why did you decide to do that? Yeah, so um, it was definitely something I've always wanted to do since I was young. And even prior to me going through my, you know, self-actualization, as I called it, is um, okay. I've always wanted to help people, you know, like that was something that's always mm -hmm. kind of been instilled in me at the base level. So I've always kind of had that beneath me, but I just never really knew how to do it. And for me, a lot of it, honestly, was my grandma's influence. I remember when after my surgeries happened and I was going through recovery, you know, my mom used all her sick days to take care of me. And then I had to go to my grandma's and my grandma was a very uh, spiritual woman. She believed in a lot of different things. And, you know, when I would go over to her house, she would kind of pick my brain because she knew I was going through a tough time. And yeah. for me, it was kind of all the stories like when I was going back to fate before, like I was just thinking about all these things that she would tell me. And it's just crazy. Like some small examples. Um, I'll give one right now. I uh, guess the, yeah. one of the bigger reasons, this was a conversation that kind of when I had it with my grandma, it made me realize all these things. So when I was really down and out, she told me, you know, she could tell I was at her house. She made me breakfast. And then she, you know, asked me if I knew about my birth story. And I was mm -hmm. heard a little bit about it in my family, but you know, never really heard it from my grandma. So she's like, let me tell you it. And I was born on Christmas Eve. So my grandma was telling me that my mom, after she had her surgeries in like the 80s or the 70s and 80s, she was told that it would be really hard for her to have children. And then after she had my brother, you know, my mom and dad tried to have a sibling and they were told that it would practically take a miracle for my brother to have a sibling. So my brother is like four years, four, four and a half years older than me. And they were trying. It wasn't looking good. And then... Basically, one morning, my mom woke up with signs of pregnancy, like morning sickness and whatnot. And she went to, um, you know, the doctor and the doctor told her, you know, you're pregnant. And my mom was like, that can't be because I was told it would take a miracle. And we tried for, you know, X amount right. of time and nothing happened. And the doctor's like, well, I don't know what that doctor told you, but you're pregnant and, you know, better expect. <laughs> so I know right. that, you know, this was like around the end of the year and I was supposed to be born after the new year in January. And as my grandma put it, she said, you arrived to us early on Christmas Eve, no less, you know, the eve of or the birth of our Lord. So she believed that I was sent here by God for a reason. And that was kind of her instilling in me belief that, I, you know, what she the way she phrased it to me is she said, we don't know what that reason is yet, but you have to be here to figure that out. So oh, that wow. was kind of the first step, like the first seed that was planted in my head where I was like, you know, Maybe I do have to tough this out. Maybe there is something else going on here. And, you know, just the, the coincidence of all that, it's a, I just don't view it as coincidence, you know, and I have a million examples yeah. like that in my life. But that was the first one that kind of planted that seed. And then I just had more examples of that as time went on. 
where I was just like, I feel like I have, I feel like I have something special here. And yeah. also part of it was my grandma was a really big advocate for um, her condition. She wasn't as much of a writer, but my grandma donated her body a lot. Uh, she did a lot of experimental procedures uh, to further oh, really? research for the condition. So my grandma couldn't necessarily do it the way I was doing it, but she did it the only way she knew how to do, which was just, you know, being tough and doing all this extra stuff to help, you know, further research. And obviously her reasoning for it is it started with, you know, her mother and her and her sister. And now, you know, she has a grandchild who has it. She was essentially just trying to give, you know, me the blueprint to live a good life and to get as much research out there to help me as possible and other people with FAP, you know, wasn't for sure. just for me, but that right. was like part of it. And then between her being an advocate, which she kind of lit the the torch or, par or passed the torch to me, I should say, <laughs> she kind of passed yeah. the torch to me in that regard. And, you know, that's kind of me carrying my, my grandmother's legacy where I, I do enjoy doing that because she loved it so much. And then on top of it, like I said before, I just had a lot of instances where in my life, it feels like it's just the thing I need to do, you know, a calling, so to speak. Yeah, right. No, I love that. I heard once that uh, if you want to leave a legacy, the best way to do that is writing your story down in written form, mm -hmm. like cre creating a book, you know, just like you did, because a hundred years from now, someone can read your story, Mike, and it will, it will, it will help them. It'll uplift them. It'll give them hope. It'll get them through a difficult time. And we're not even here. Right. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that is the best way to leave a legacy is making sure your story is written down. So that's really cool that you uh, put yourself out there, if you will, and, and had some guidance, obviously from family as well. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it sounds like you guys are, you know, you guys, your, your faith and belief in God is, sounds like it's very important to you and your family. Yes, definitely. Um, I know that it's carried us through a lot of tough times, especially, um, you know, my grandma always believed in everything, you know, she, she believed in a whole bunch of stuff, you know, like she believed that there was like my grandma and my grandpa, for example, she believed they met in a previous life and that they were always soulmates. And, yeah. you know, so I've just, we've always been surrounded by belief. And I think partially it's because we've had to deal with hardships, but they've genuinely helped. And, you know, each, whenever things got really tough, the belief always got, you know, my grandma through, it got me through, it's got my mom through, yeah. you know, it's helped with my dad and my brother, you know, all the way, all the way through my family. Definitely. That's awesome. And I would imagine that's kind of how you were raised too, as a child that, you know, believing in God and the importance of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that definitely. fair? Yeah, no, that's fair. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm sure there's a, a thousand takeaways from writing your book, but if you could give us a couple, like what are some of the big aha moments or takeaways that, uh, you you received by writing this book or you discovered and then what what would be the target audience for your book yeah mm -hmm. i know that's a big two big questions there no oh, yeah those are two <laughs> very good questions so yeah definitely a cool moment i would think is um so i had this happen to me recently in february so when i wrote my book basically when i i went to my family obviously there's a lot of very personal stuff in there and i wanted to clear it with them and just say hey you know, I'm going to write a story. I'm going to be 100% transparent. Obviously, I wanted to get their blessing on it. And they were obviously fine with it. So 
when I, you know, went there in the beginning, my mom said, what do you like, what do you want from this? And for me, it's not like money or all these things that you like materialistic things. I told her, I said, it'll be worth it if it helps just one person and then everything else is extra. Yeah. So that was the mindset yeah. going into it. Um, okay. So that's, you know, obviously been achieved already. So I'm very happy with that. And then in February, I had gotten a DM on Instagram uh, from uh, a woman's daughter. And she just touched base with me and said, you know, my mom read your book. She has your condition. And they lived in Australia. And she was like, can I, you know, oh. can I give your, uh, you know, your email to my mom and she could reach out to you? And I said, of course, you know, she reached out to me and we touched base and we kind of became pen pals. Her name's Sarah and we're friends with each other still. And, um, you know, we we're just going back and forth. And she was telling me down in Australia, nobody understands what FAP is. She's tried to explain it to people. And it's this really foreign thing. And, yeah. you know, she said that she would look on the Internet for a story about, you know, a memoir or something about FAP. And there was just nothing until my book came along. And she said, when my book came along, she bought it and she related to all the emotions I was putting in there from, you know, pre-diagnosis to diagnosis and going through it. And she said it was just so refreshing to have somebody else, you know, share our experience out there. And so she was telling me, she's like, I'm, I've been giving it to my friends down here so they can read it and understand what's going on. And I'm like, well, I have a bunch of books here at home. Like, let me ship them down to Australia and you can give them out to whoever. So I winded up like shipping down 20 copies to her. And then she sent me um, a care package a couple months ago of all like Australia goodies, <laughs> like uh, oh, little, really? like little souvenirs and whatnot, and uh, <laughs> snacks and everything. And she sent me That's a nice amazing. card that I have uh, hung up in my on my wall in my room. And we just you know made a friend in Australia all the way on the other side of the world. And you know it's just still crazy wow. to think that you know so far away, like what it's like an eighteen hour flight, whatever it is. I don't even know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. It's literally on the bottom other other side of where i'm from you know down under is how they call it and yeah I, right? I was able to impact somebody there and that's something i never even conceived as a possibility you know prior to all this but you know it's digital age media and everything it has its pros and cons and that's definitely one of the uh pros is being able to connect with someone on the other side of the world and have them relate to your experience and you know that was definitely probably my favorite wow moment so far is just that connection. That's amazing. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. And, and really you said your goal was to reach one person. Obviously you did, mm -hmm. and you're going to reach way more than just one person because just the effect you had on that entire family in Australia, it's not just her, mm -hmm. it's, it's everyone around and, and the things that she probably said to the entire family. It's so cool. Like the if you think of the ripple effect mm -hmm. just with that one family. And so very cool. And, and it's amazing how you're, you touch someone on the other side of the world. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, no, that was a really cool moment for me, for sure. And then what was part two? I forgot. Sorry, I got a little. Yeah, so, I mean, I think because you talk a lot about overcoming adversity, mm -hmm. and all of us are going through that on some level, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, my question was, like, who's is this book for just people who are struggling with the, with the condition of FAP, or is it? anyone who is just battling anything. Yeah. So it's definitely both. Um, obviously I wrote with the intention of being there for the FAP community so that they could just totally have a, a voice shed light on what we go through. But um, I, I'm also aware that it's very rare and I understand that, you know, only yeah. a small percentage of people would relate to that. 
But with my story, I knew that there was a lot more to it than just the strictly medical side or the graphic medical side of things. I knew that, you know, the mental transformation I had overgone over the years was something that I felt I could help a lot of people. I know a lot of people my age, um, guys and girls, but more specifically, guys in my age demographic these days are, are struggling um, with addiction, suicide yeah. rates, depression rates, everything, you name it. Um, and I just know it's because a lot of guys are suffering behind closed doors. They're not talking about things. I mean, I've been there. I've suffered behind closed doors. I've been in those shoes. Yeah. So as a person who's been on both sides, so to speak, I feel like with everything that's going on in the world that's affecting young men, I can, you know, I, I feel like in some way I've gotten to the other side of a lot of those struggles. And I know there's always continuous struggles in life. And, you know, right. I'm not naive to that. I'm not going to say it's always going to be sunshine and rainbows. Like, I'm, you know, I don't want right. to make it seem like that. But at the same time, I've developed a lot of tools that I feel can help a lot of other people pull them out of bad places. Maybe some bad habits that, you know, I had, I see other people have. And that affected my mental health negatively. And if I can help maybe reach another person and help them get over whatever it is they're going through that, you know, it's, it's bigger than that. And a lot of it, you know, for me, a lot of my story was grief after losing my, my grandmother, too. So, you know, there's a lot of yeah. different emotional sides to it. And I just feel like, you know, it's kind of where I got the title from. You know, my dad would say it all the time. Everyone goes through their own bumps in the road. And, you know, it's because mm -hmm. he had we had a family friend who um, his wife had um, had battled with cancer for many years. And that was like his saying that helped them get through their tough times is it's just a bump in the road. And then when we went through our tough times, my dad was adopting that saying of it's just a bump in the oh, road, God. you know, yeah. and that's kind yeah. of the point is everybody does have their bumps in the road. Everybody's going to have obstacles. I think that's very apparent nowadays with all the statistics um, that you see with people who are struggling. And I just feel yeah. like if it's it's something very small on my part, it's just talking about my life and what's helped me. And if that can help another person out there, if it can, you know, make a light bulb go off in their head. Uh, that's what it's all about and sharing my story. Well, I love that. You know, you, you obviously been to hell and back with going through all this and learned many, many lessons. Um, what, what is your, do you have like future goals with this? Like what, what's next, I guess, you know, you're doing this, you've done this book, you're out promoting it. Do you see yourself like doing something even more around this area? Do, do you like see yourself writing another book? or doing your own podcast, or, I mean, I'm just curious on like, what, where does your mind go? Like, how far do you want to take this? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, so I'm kind of like, you, like you said, I'm living that process out right now. And I think for me, um, in regards to uh, my book right now, because I do have a creative side, like I would love to write like fiction one day. That's something I've always dreamed of as a kid. I love to read, I love TV shows and all that. And I do yeah. feel like um, a lot can, a lot, I feel like there's a lot of power in storytelling too that can help people, even if it is fiction. Um, there's a lot of stories that we value as people, whether, you know, fiction or real memoirs, but people, if those things matter to them. And I definitely would like yeah. to dabble in that. But as far as, um, you know, my memoir goes, I definitely would like to spread my message as far as possible. <clears throat> and my message, you know, a lot of it has to do with attitude and the, the ripple effect, as we discussed, you know, how far it can go and how you have to think about each. I think like I like to think two steps ahead in my life, you know, to because yeah. of the situations I've been through where I see how, you know, each decision I've made in my life affects 
either good or bad. It could be for good or bad. So I would like yeah. to be able to expand my platform however it comes, honestly. Um, I try not to overthink it a little too much. I just want to get on shows that can, you know, spread my message to an audience I think would share the value and keep, yeah. you know, keep spreading that. Obviously, I would like to do speaking engagements if that leads to an audience who would like to hear me talk regularly and do a podcast. Yeah. You know, I like talking, so I got no problem with that. But kind of right now, I'm just, you know, going out there, sharing my story and kind of seeing where, you know, God takes it, so to speak. Love it. Love it. Yeah, you're very well spoken and obviously very passionate about this, which is which makes it even that much better. You know, mental health, obviously, you talk a lot about that and kind of you, you mentioned it like your demographic, your age group of men, especially out there are really struggling in that area. Mm -hmm. You know, um, suicide rates are up, addictions up, um, criminal behavior is up and just, you know, just the sense of loneliness and not fitting in depression, anxiety. I mean, the list goes on and it's really unfortunate. So that is amazing to have a book like this that could maybe even make an impact. If, if there was someone listening to you right now, Mike, that was in a dark place and whether they have a, a medical condition like you did, or it's a mental health issue and they're just in a bad place uh, and they're not sure what to do, they're listening to you right now. What would you tell that person? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually going to share a story because um, from my personal life, and this is basically, Great. it hammers home everything that I would try to tell that person and no better experiences through my own life experience. So for me, Great. when I was in that spot, I was thinking a lot of like, well, my I had the same feelings. If all this, you know, if I knew all this bad things were going to happen to me, I wish I would have never been born at all. Or why has all this happened to me? This is unfair. And I went through that whole spectrum. And then I had my grandma who told me, you know, my birth story and everything. So for me, obviously, you know, my mom, she gave the condition to me. And I wrote in my book at my lowest moment, which was rock bottom. For me, the moment that snapped me out of my depressive funk that, you know, when I was isolated and pushing everyone away, I had told my mom in a moment of, you know, truth at the time, but it was a moment that i you know, it, it was mean. And basically my mom yeah. was trying to confess to me. She did a confession out of me. She was like, what are you thinking? Because I wasn't talking to anyone. I was pushing my family yeah. away. And I told her, I was like, you really want to know what's on my mind? And she said, yep. And I told her, I said, well, if I knew all this, what happened to me, I wish I would have never been born. And wow. basically that was a stab in, in her chest, you know, for, you know, she passed the condition on to me. She had been harboring that guilt, which I hadn't realized at the mm -hmm. time. And I it was so naive and foolish. I was just in my own, you know, bad place. And I was only thinking about myself and selfishly. And at the time, I had convinced myself that I was a burden, you know, that my family would be better off without me, which was just obviously very not true. That was me being sick at the time talking. That wasn't actually me. But after that, my mom went out on the deck and she was crying. And then I remember my dad came home after that. And, you know, he went on the deck to console her. And when he came back inside, he was just really disappointed with me. Not even mad, but he just said, he's like, you really told your mother that? And I said, yes. And, you know, didn't still wasn't thinking anything of it. But then, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, she hasn't been able to sleep since all this has happened to you and the diagnosis and whatever. And, you know, you, you saying that is making her think that all, having you and all this was a mistake, you know? So I didn't realize how much my own family was dealing with because I was so wrapped up in myself. So in that moment, I told myself, I'm going to put a mask on and I'm going to try and, you know, 
try and change the small things in my life, even though I really felt they were meaningless at the time. And I still didn't necessarily have that belief that things would get better. I tried anyways, you know, and so then I started faking it a little bit, you know, putting the mask on, so to speak, taking responsibility for my health at the time and not, you know, there was a lot of things at the time that I was putting off that I didn't want to do. Um, I had to wear an ostomy at the time. That was something that I was really unhappy about. But after, you know, that conversation happened, I started taking care of myself better, trying to alleviate that from my parents. And then as time went on, which I kind of wrote about in my story, that mask wasn't really a mask anymore because I started to be, you know, being more open about my story. People reached out to me and, and, you know, would share some stuff with me that they were going through. And then I realized that the reception on me talking about my story wasn't, you know, a bad thing. And it wasn't something to be ashamed of. So that's when it kind of opened the door for me to talk a little more about these things. And then I opened up the conversation in my family. So on my mom's, on my mom's side, or on my dad's side, they weren't really aware of what had happened to my mom because she was pretty quiet about it. But then I was more open about it. So then they started to understand her better. And then there was more of a dialogue in my family. And then I kind of kept this going for a couple of years when I got the idea for the book. So then we kind of flash forward to, um, you know, my grandma when she told me that I need to be here to figure out what that reason is. And so I continued onward. I thought the reason at the time was just to help other people. Like I had said, I wasn't really aware of where the ripple effect was going to take me. But then my grandma got sick in uh, 2019 when I was at college. And, you know, long story short, she had a rare form of cancer. And it was unrelated to our condition, which she was actually very, you know, happy about that it wasn't FAP that was right. you know, what got her at the end. But um, yeah, so in our final days, we kind of knew our our time with her was numbered. And I remember I was sitting on her bed, and we were just kind of having a heart to heart. And you know, she said as she was holding my hand, she's like, "Remember that conversation we had years ago when, you know, I said you were sent here for a reason, but we just didn't know what the reason was yet." And I said, yeah, of course. And, you know, she told me, she's like, I think you were sa- you were sent here to save your mother's life because your mother was never open about any of this prior to um, prior to you. She wasn't ever talking about it with either side of the family. It was always something that we just respected her privacy. Um, and beyond that, my mom was always the person who said, I'm not getting operated on a den. I'm not getting checked on a den. You know, she was pretty adamant about that prior to me being yeah. more open about my situation. But then because I got to this point where I was so open about it, she was starting to change her attitude on it. And in turn, you know, my grandma, my grandma's dying wish to my mom was, you know, you need to get checked for Michael. And so good thing she did, because after she um, got checked, you know, long story short, my mom has a really complicated medical history. They weren't entirely sure what they did to her back when she got operated on in the 70s. It was a little bit experimental. And they actually left a portion of her large intestine behind, which had, you know, polyps growing. So they had to remove that and revert back to what I have, which is a J pouch. And I was told that that wouldn't, that wasn't even possible. uh, When I first got operated on reversals weren't possible. So five years later, they're telling me reversals are possible. And now I'm in this spot where my mom got bad news. And I, I, in my head, I know everything she's about to go through. I know it's going to be a long surgery. I know it's going to be a year of recovery. You know, she's going to have to wear an ostomy. She's going to have to do all these things that she swore she would never do again. But in a weird way, because I had changed, I had made all those small decisions over the course of years. You know, it was a long time uh, of me doing the little things and being open about my condition and trying to, you know, 
forge this route that I'm going down. And after years of doing that, it got to the point where my mom's now in this spot where she's doing something she swore she would have never done five years ago. And she did it. And I remember being at college, totally nervous, you know, wondering how my mom was going to respond to all this, keeping my thoughts silently to myself. And my mom, you know, she, it's weird because all those years later, it's like it was a role reversal and I was in her shoes when I was getting operated on. And things thankfully turned out good. She uh, made a full recovery and she told you like a champion, you know, she didn't give me, she alleviated all my worries. And that's something that she would have never done. I remember um, after she had her surgery and it happened during COVID too, it was just a very crazy time because she was in the hospital, you know, after her second surgery during that time when they were saying, you know, New York City's the epicenter of the coronavirus and that it's affecting weak people. I had my mom in there who was weak at the time. They rushed her out early. And I remember I had to play house nurse for her for a couple of weeks during that crazy time period in life. And, you know, I, I remember one day when I was helping her just, you know, clean out whatever, some of the tubes she had. And she was just saying to me, she's like, I never would have done this, you know, if you hadn't, you know, did what you did, if you hadn't changed your attitude and chose the way you handled things. And to just think that, you know, this happened in 2015, that moment was in 2020. Over the course of five years, all those little choices I made winded up being the reason why my mom's still here. And it's just really crazy to think that in an alternate universe, had I not made any of those choices, Maybe my mom yeah. doesn't get the, you know, the stroke check like she said she wouldn't five years ago. And maybe, you know, the cancer would have popped up before, when it was too late and she might not be here in 2023. So that's that's my reason. That's my why. That's one reason, you know, like obviously yeah. the, the ripple effect that has taken place in my life goes, you know, beyond just my mother. But obviously being able to see my own impact of having my mom still here and realizing that had I not done what I did, she might not be here. That's, you know, the biggest why for me personally. And that's the best example I can give to paint a picture to someone who doesn't think that their life matters to the point where, you know, they're wondering why keep going. I, I kept going for five years where I had highs and lows moments where I didn't think, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or, you know, what am I doing? Should I, you know, all the doubt, it's all part of being human. But, you know, you, you keep going along and then you finally find out that big reason. That big reason for me was, you know, for my mother and on top of a lot of other reasons. But, you know, your the little choices you make each day will either add up negatively. They will compound negatively or positively. And you'll see yeah. the results one day. You know, you'll see there's something really great that makes you look back and think, wow, you know, like, thank God I yeah. chose that path, you know, because <laughs> the, yeah. the alternate option could have been way worse. And, yeah. That's what I think about every day. And that's what I try to tell people is it can be way worse. I know it might not seem that way. It didn't seem that way for me. But if I kept thinking that way and living that way, it would have been worse because my mom wouldn't be here. And who knows what my family dynamic would look like. And I probably wouldn't be doing this right now. So it just, it it really does go a long way. And I know that was a long-winded answer, but no, yeah, I had to paint the full picture. (laughs) (laughs) No, beautiful, Mike. Thank you for sharing that. Very well said and very well needed for all of us to hear that. And, and it's great advice because we all matter. Um, we're all part of an equation. Mm-hmm. We need you. We need everyone here helping each other. And I really do believe this, Mike, you went through all of this so you can be a light in the world that can help other people who are struggling. And you're obviously doing that. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you, uh, Mike, and get to know you better and, and buy your book and 
all of that. What's the best, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So, um, I have two Instagrams. Um, one's more geared toward just my writing. It's a uh, Mike Caprio underscore author. And that's all writing, uh, endeavors a little more strictly focused on that. And then I have a, okay. a personal account, uh, Mike Caprio underscore underscore. It's just my, you know, my life. So a little more personal side yeah. of me beyond just the writing. And, you know, the two of them together kind of act in tandem for the full spectrum of my personality. And then you could also <laughs> uh, find uh, my other information at my website, which is uh, MikeCaprioAuthor.com. Yep. And then that, that has like my Amazon and there's like a buy now thing so that you could just buy it straight okay. from there to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Well, we'll, we'll put your links in the show notes when we go live. And so everyone can just click easily to get to your Instagram account and also your website and uh, to be able to order your book. And we're going to push this out to everyone that's listening and all my followers. And we're going to do our best to help promote you, Mike, and, and all the good that you're doing. Um, I can't thank you enough for spending some time uh, today on a Friday. Uh, You're probably got a busy schedule. So thanks (laughs) for carving it out for us a little bit today. And, um, It's been a great interview. I mean, that that 45 minutes flew by like it was five minutes. It was just, you're easy to talk to. You're obviously very safe and very passionate. And I can't thank you enough for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. I agree. It, it really did fly by. I just looked up at the timer <laughs> and I said 45 minutes. Jeez, it feels like we've, yeah. you know, there's definitely a lot more I could tap into. I could talk all day. So that's a good order. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, yeah, we I, could we could probably just we could throw out New York Giants and we could probably go another couple hours, oh, right? Oh yeah, easily on that. <laughs> we could change the topic <laughs> from you know attitude and the butterfly effect, and we could just talk about why they like to break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks, my friend. Um, it's great to great to meet you here. Um, I love what you're doing. Support you any way I can. Um, if you need anything in the future as well, please let me know. I'd be happy to help any way that I can. Um, Thank you. I'm on the other side of the, uh, of the United States, but that doesn't matter. We'll still help promote you over here, you know, and, yeah. um, the re the reach I have now here on the podcast is worldwide awesome. and it's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, so I'm grateful for that and grateful for you and taking some time. Thank you, Todd. No, I'm, I'm grateful for you as well. I appreciate the, uh, the support.